Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 16. This is the, the series that we're in entitled Give It Away, and we're talking about how we, as a follower of Jesus, we give it away. And this is our scripture today. These are the words of Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We read it at the beginning. Let's read it again now. Read with me. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? No. (laughs) Nothing's worth more than your soul. Your soul lives forever. We need to be reminded of that because there's this flesh that cries out for itself, but the flesh is going to die someday. The flesh is going away We need to focus on our soul that lives forever. This is what Jesus is talking about. So in week one, we talked about prayer. Week two, we talked about fasting. Last week, we talked about how we give it away in sharing our faith. And again, let me encourage you, do not grow weary in that. Engage in that and see how it fills your soul. And if you missed that, you can check it out online or in our podcast. But this week, we're talking about giving it away by talking about something that we're doing right now today. And we give it away as we gather together as the local church. This is what we're doing right now. One of the key ways that we give it away as, the body, as, as believers is, is, when, is when we give it away to the church. And when I say church, I think it's important to define what exactly I'm talking about. You know, Because I'm not talking about a club where people come together, we have similar interests, and we kind of learn a little bit and have a little bit of fun together. Those are great. Um, I'm in a sea kayaking club, and I love it. But that's not what we're doing here today. That's not what Jesus died for. That's not what Jesus built. That's not what he gave his life for. See, when we talk about the church, this is so much more than that. Because, again, it's, the church was built by Jesus. The church was established by Jesus and is led by Jesus. He's the head. That's why it's called the body of Christ. See, when we give our life to Jesus, when I gave my life to Jesus, it was an individual decision to follow him But it was also a decision to be reconciled to God and to be part of something greater, the body of Christ, the family of God. We have all these ways of explaining it. That being a Christ follower means that I am reconciled to God, who is a father, and now I'm part of his family. That's all of you guys. That's Christians and believers all over the world. And it's so important as we do this that even in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian and illegal to come together, there are men and women today that are literally risking their life to gather together as the body of Christ. They're risking losing their jobs. They're risking being separated from the family. They're risking life and imprisonment. Why would you do that? We do that because it is vital, it is essential for us to gather together and to be together. And this is our scripture that we read today. It's, it's from Hebrews chapter 10, 25. And so many scriptures I could choose, but I love how the writer of Hebrews says this. When they write, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. But encourage one another. And that word encourage, that's a coaching word. Encourage one another, especially now. 
that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, I, I got to tell you, I love the church, and you know my story, didn't always love the church. You know, I was a little kid in the back row throwing in paper planes around. I tell my kids at the risk of them repeating some of my mistakes as a, <laughs> as a child. But I grew up in the church, and I've come to just love the church and engage with it and commit my life to it because I've seen so many lives so many people changed. I can, I can tell testimonies of people that are here today of how their life has been changed by connecting to the body of Christ. But today, I'm bringing some extra attention to this because of this. And I want to share something with you, and this is some of the, the latest research about the state of the church, the body of Christ here in America. And it's from some of the top researchers in the, in the country. And if you open your church center app and you look at the bottom, there's a little button that says Sunday morning. And if you click on that, there's a link to that book if you want to dig deeper into some of this research. But it, it comes from this book that culminated a lot of just great research. And it's called The Great Dechurching of America by Jim Davis, Michael Graham, and Ryan Burge. And here's what they found. They write, in the United States, we are currently experiencing the largest and fastest religious shift in the history of our country, as tens of millions of formerly regular Christian worshipers nationwide have decided that they no longer decide to attend church at all. About 40 million adults in America today used to go to church, but no longer do, which accounts for about 16% of our adult population. For the first time in the eight decades that Gallup has tracked American religious membership, more adults in the United States do not attend church than attend church. This is not a gradual shift. It is a jolting one. And they go on to write, more people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became Christians from the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and Billy Graham crusades combined. That's worth noting again, more people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became Christians during the first, the second Great Awakening, and the Billy Graham Crusades combined. And sadly, as the research in this book goes on to note, that those who walk away from church, they're not growing stronger in their walk with God. They're actually pulling back as they've dove into, what does this group believe? How do they... How do they feel about God? How do they feel about who they are? The sad truth is when you pull back from the body of Christ, you're making yourself vulnerable to the enemy who seeks to devour and destroy you. It says this in 1 Peter 5 where it says, Stay alert. The devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. Keep your guard up. I mean, we know this, that if you want to destroy somebody, if you want to take advantage of somebody, you pull them away from the relationships, you pull them away from the pack, and then you have them. And my goal today is to echo these words. My echo is to wake us up. Now, I recognize that we're all here today, but I also recognize that as you go out, as you go out and you share your faith and you invite people to church, there's going to be such an attack. There's going to be so many misunderstandings. So I want to give you tools today, and I want to give you confidence today that we need the body of Christ. We need to gather together. We need each other. I need you. Not because I'm needy, though I, I kind of am a little bit. 
but because we were made to need each other. We were made to be together. We, this is how we were made to operate. And here's why. One of the key reasons is because the church, the body of Christ, is essential in loving God. The body of Christ, what we're doing today and what Christians all over the world in different places, in small gatherings, in mega gatherings, in gatherings our size, they're gathering together. And one of the key reasons is because it's essential in loving God. See, love, godly love, righteous love, doesn't isolate. When the love of God is present, it is expansive. See, hate will cause you to isolate. Hate will cause you to withdraw and to be cut off from others. But love, it causes us to connect and it causes us to invite others to please join us. See, love, it only exists as it is expressed, shared, and given. That's what love is, isn't it? Right? When you love somebody, you want to share. You're like, I hope I share it in the right way and I hope it doesn't weird them out. I hope it doesn't push them away because love wants to connect. Love wants to be together. That's why the greater the love, the greater the community. It was out of love that God created humanity. Because love will always grow. Love will always create and expand. See, the word love, it's one of the key words that is used to describe God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is his love. It doesn't just say that God has love or that God expresses love. But one of the key ways that God is described is by saying God, he is love. This is the core of who God is. And this aspect of love has been placed in all y'all. If you want to see what God looks like, just look at the people around you. And I think it's important that we remind ourselves of that. Every human has been made in the image of God. Those that are here today, those that are on the streets, even the annoying people, of which I have been at times. And so have you at times. But we've all been made in the image of God. And the love of God is reaching out to reconcile us and pull us together. And this aspect of love has been placed in all of us, but because of sin, which, is, which means we're not walking with God, we're ignoring God, we're, we're out and out rejecting God, we've broken this gift that he's given to us because we've misused it or tried to use it for our own gain. Something to please us or something to distract us or something to medicate the hurt in us. If you want more definition on that, just listen to any song from the 80s. It's, it's filled with it. So how do we reclaim this aspect of love that God has for us, this great gift? See, some people try to make it very complicated. And in Jesus' day, there was a group known as the Pharisees where they would add rules to the rules and, and they would take it and try to use it for their own gain of, of power so much that Jesus said in Matthew 23, he said, look, they crush people with unbearable religious demands and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. See, love will always come in and try to lift, not crush. So Jesus, he breaks it down and I'm so glad that Jesus does this. He breaks it down so that we can all understand what it is. 
And one of the biggest examples of this is when these Pharisees who were making all these rules, they, they went to him because they knew that he was trained. He grew up being trained in the Bible. He knew it in and out. He was the son of God, but he also, as a man, studied all of this. And they asked him, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus, this is what he said. Let's read this together. This is from Matthew 22. Would you read with me? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. He's saying, look guys, it comes down to this. The greatest commandment is that you love God with all. That's an active word, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And the doctor in Luke, in, in the book of Luke says, and with all your strength, everything that's in you, you love God. But then Jesus goes on to say, you know what? The second is equally important, loving your neighbor. And he used this because this first part of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your mind, this, this, this was known to the Jewish people as the Shema, which was the, the, the center of their morning and their evening prayers. They said this every day. It was prefaced with, hear, hear, O Israel, Lord your God is one. And then they would, they would pray this every day, so they knew this. But Jesus, he did something significant here because he connected this prayer that they all knew and they prayed twice a day, and he connected it to action. He connected it to loving their neighbors. In other words, what Jesus was saying, that loving God that you pray for every day and you say that you do, this is equal to loving your neighbor. This, this was mind-blowing. This was like, it made them kind of take a step back. What do you mean loving your neighbor? And when Jesus said love your neighbor, it wasn't the way that they defined it because they, many of them, they defined it by meaning that neighbor means the people I like, the people who agree with me, the people who look with me, the people are saying that, that was so great, Pastor Duane, right? Those are the easy neighbors. See, Jesus used the parable of the Good Samaritan to show them that no, 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 no. Your neighbor is everybody you see, everybody you walk to, people who disagree with you, people who've done you harm, people that when you think about them, you got a little in your gut. Anybody have one of those things in your gut? Hopefully not now. Right? But I mean, you live long enough, you try to interact with people, you're going to have a little bit of that. And, and again, don't just judge them because you've given some to other people, I'm sure. Right? Hard to believe. But we all do. We all do. But Jesus is saying, look, this is equal for, and he's saying that, the, that loving God equals loving your neighbor because a love for God is going to naturally release the love of God in your life. A love for God will release the love of God in your life, which is expansive, which is generous, which is given to everyone to where Jesus, he loved him, all of us so much that even on the cross as he was dying, he was still reaching out to the criminals around him and saying, who wants to join me in paradise today? A love for God will release that love of God in our life. And as we look at this, just a very quick acknowledgement that in these verses, when Jesus talks about this, the words that he's using for loving God, there's a very intentional word, and as we look at this, that in the Greek, it's, it's this word uh, agapao, and it's going to come up on, on the screen for you. 
And the word that he uses for loving God, agapao, he also uses for loving your neighbor, agapao. Everyone say agapao, because that's just a cool word, okay? See, agapao, this is the verb form. It's the action word for the word agape. And those of you who have studied love, you know that agape, this is the highest form of love. This is the love that God created. It's the love that God has for us and the love that we are called to have for God because it's a sacrificial love. That's what love is. Love isn't about, you know, I love this ice cream so I'm going to eat it so I can feel good, right? It's, 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 it's a love that is sacrificial. It is giving. It's, it, it's, it's, it's the kind of love that, that, that we hear about in John 3.16 when it says, For God so loved the world, that agapal, that action, that he gave his only son. He sacrificed his son Jesus for us. Because love doesn't stand still. If I really love you, I'm going to start taking some steps towards you. Even when it hurts. Because it cannot stay still. It demands that action. And see, in all of this, it brings us back to the church, the body of Christ. The greatest commandment, this commandment that Jesus talked about and he lived out, it is strengthened as we give it away by doing what we're doing today gathering as the body of Christ. See, if you want to grow and you want to develop in any area of your life, there are some key things that have to be there. First of all, there's got to be commitment, right? Every team, if you join a sports team or you join a band or you join any group that's out to do something, the first thing they want to know is, are you committed? Are you in, right? There's nothing worse than showing up to a rehearsal and no one's there. And it's like, well, man, I showed up. It was important to me, but you didn't show up. The whole team suffers, doesn't it? So every team is like, you got to be committed. And you need to be open to instruction. You need to be willing to learn. You need to be willing to be coached and encouraged along the way. And you need to have opportunity to actually apply it. No team just wants to practice all the time and run line drills all the time and just practice and hear the coach instructing them all the time. Those are all important. And we often practice more than we actually play the games. But the whole point is to apply it and to live it out, and to go out and to put into action those things that you know to be true. And the church has been uniquely created by God to do this. Why do you think Satan attacks the church so much? And he tells you, it's just weird, and it's this, and it's that, you know, and it's, it's, he'll, he'll put all kinds of lies and all kinds of attacks in your way, and he'll even cause you to get hurt here sometimes, and he'll even cause you to get disgruntled sometimes. And, you know, if Pastor Dwayne mentions his dog one more time, I'm leaving that church. I'm a cat person. <laughs> he'll do all kinds of stuff for you. But see, when Jesus talks about the church, he's not just talking about a bunch of like-minded people gathering together around to read the Bible. That's so important. But see, the church, it's a gathering. It's from the Greek word ecclesia, which means it's a group of people who are committed to living out their life together for God. It's a community. Christianity is not isolation. Christianity is plural. It's as we gather together. We're committed to the mission of encouraging one another, of sharpening one another, that we're committed to be filled with the power of God and, and to do his mission in the world around us. That's why when Jesus talked about it in Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the power 
of the body of Christ. This is the power of what we mean when we come together. And I've heard some people say, well, Dwayne, I like, you know, I, I, I like coming in here, but you know, it's, it's a little weird to people who don't know about it, and it's a little different, and it's, you know, it's, you know can, we make it a, uh, can we make it more like the things that they experience out there? And there's that desire to say, yes, we want to welcome people, we want to have an on-ramp to bring it in, but i got to tell you, there's, there's nothing like the church. The church is unique, and it needs to be unique. Because if it's just the same, I think, you know, we want to have good communication, we want to have good manners, we want to be filled with the love of Christ, but sometimes we can work so hard on being relevant that we're irrelevant, and nothing means anything. That's when people get hurt. But what Jesus created, it's unique, and one of the ways that it's unique is that it uniquely positions you to love everyone. See, as it relates to the church, the body of Christ, whether it's here, across the street, wherever you may go, there are things happening that really don't happen anywhere else. And I love how the British poet Steve Turner says it. He says it this way. He says, the church humbles us. It is one of the few places in our society today where we sit with the rich and the poor, the young and the old, black and white, educated uneducated. And our focus is on the same object, God. It's one of the few places where we share our troubles and our hopes of our lives with people that we may not know. It's one of the few places where we sing as a crowd. When we come together here today, we get to sit with people that otherwise you may not have, have sat with. All across the economic spectrum, all across, whether it's the racial or, or interest or different things, young and old, everything. You know, there's nothing wrong with being with your own people, with being with your own wolf pack. Those are times that you can go out and have fun, and it's there, and it's great. And we have a lot of groups for that. We have a youth ministry, kids ministry. we got a 65 and wiser. But we need as the body of Christ to regularly come together because we need this. Because we're sharpened here. Because I'm telling you, the more that you go out, the more that you share your faith, there's going to be a dulling effect, isn't there? Have you, have you, have you experienced that where you try to go, you're trying to live for God, and you're like, man, I just feel tired. I just feel dull. I just feel like it's worn down. I'm feeling like, is there anybody with me? Is there anyone praying? I mean, some of the greatest prophets even felt that. Elijah felt that, and God had to correct him and say, no, Elijah, you're not the only one. Because we need each other. We need to come in and be sharpened and meet and say, hey, I've been praying for you this week. Can I pray for you now? Or how is that going? Or you know what? I hit a wall, man. I need some help. Or can we just get together and encourage one another? Can we, you know, we need that, that refining when we come together and we hear the word of God and we think about it. And then we go out and we apply it and we're being encouraged to share our faith. Because if not, you will grow dull. You will grow apathetic. And the original lie of Satan will echo in your mind. Did God really say that? Does he really love you? Is the church really good? Is it just a big organization that's just out for itself? When we don't connect together, when we don't commit to it, all of these lies echo in our heart and they're out to destroy us. That's why I love how Chuck Colson said in his uh, his classic book, Be in the Body, he said, the church is the one institution in society that can provide strong moral resolve and spiritual inspiration that feeds the soul, it cares for the needy, and it guides those who have lost their way. 
It is the church that creates the character that will carry us through, historic, through the historic struggle of our times. It is the church that will endure forever, even as the kingdoms of this world topple and fall. It's the body of Christ. See, the uniqueness of what Jesus has created, it's made the church an incredible force of good in the world. I mean, as it relates to the church, the church has historically and continues to be a champion of health and education. And we continue to say this because it's important to remind us that when we look around at all the universities and, and all the hospitals that were here, by and large, they were created by Christians enacting the love of God in their life because they wanted people to be healthy. They wanted people to be educated. And one study even notes that religiously affiliated nonprofits comprise 40% of the social safety net in America. And one of the concerns that it relates as this, 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 uh, this habit to fall away from church, this habit to get out of the practice of gathering together, is that now social services across America are starting to see a decline and a pullback, and they're recognizing that's because the, the church has been a catalyst in providing support, and they're concerned about the safety net pulling back. That's why Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, 7, has said, that we're to seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you find your welfare. Why? Because the God of love in us causes us to have, the love for God causes us to have the love of God that's going to pour out to people around us. It's going to flow out. If you love God, it's going to flow out. You're going to be looking for opportunities to share. But the church is also the champion of family. Family is how God made us to live and to grow and to succeed. The makeup of the family is the bedrock of any society. Again, that's why it's under such attack. And so many have been hurt by the family that was meant to help you and support you and strengthen you and teach you and guide you. Because how many have found family to be tough? Right? Anything that's a bedrock will always be under attack. But it's worth fighting for. But it's here in the church that no matter who you are, no matter what you've come from, you are welcome and you are a part of the family of God. Even for me, I have wonderful parents. My dad turns 96 next month. You know, he was in a wheelchair and now, you know, his PT says, you know what? He's, he's starting, to, starting to walk again. He's getting up to the walker because dad's like, I'm tired of being in bed. And so he's, he's getting up and going again and he's strengthening again. I have a wonderful, strong, resilient, godly man for a father, but he's over 3,000 miles away. But I have a lot of father figures here. I, my kids have aunts and uncles. They call many of you aunts and uncles. We have children that we count as our own. How else does that happen? And we're committed. And they're welcome. No matter who you are, no matter what you've come from. That's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 68, he said, God places the lonely in what? Families. And James 1 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, God protects family. So much so that even when the woman who was caught in, in, in adultery, if you read that passage and go through, I want you to pay attention. The first thing that Jesus did is he protected her. He didn't come in wagging his finger. 
Could have. And the Pharisees thought he should have, but the first thing he did is he protected her. The last thing he said was, now go and sin no more, because why? I want you to be part of my family. This is the love of God. It is not a compromise of truth to love somebody. Are you hungry? Let me feed you. Do you need something? Hey, you're welcome here no matter what. That's the love of God. And then the truth. Choose Christ. Align your life with Christ. Walk with Christ. Don't get caught in this cycle that the enemy is trying to destroy you. This is the body of Christ. It's a champion of family. It's a champion of health. The church is a champion of growth. I mean, if you are actively and faithfully engaged in the local church, you will grow. And I've been around long enough, not as long as some of you, but longer than some of you. And I've seen how those who have committed their life to Christ, where they planted themselves in a church, through all kinds of different pastors and all kinds of different stuff, they're here. These are some of the healthiest people that are growing and they're engaged and they're, I'm praying for you because this is my family and I'm going to be here. Are there good reasons to leave? Yes, there's some dysfunction sometimes you've got to separate yourself from, but this is a good place, not because of me, but because of all of you. And the faithful leaders that we come together who are praying and seeking the Lord and desiring to do our best, and so what that means is we walk through things, we work them out. But it does involve sharpening, because if we teach God's word here, which we are and we do, it's going to, you're going to feel it. You apply the word of God, you're going to feel it, and it's going to kind of start rubbing against you. Hebrews 4.12 says, because the word of God, read this with me, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Does that sound painful to you? Right? Some of you had hip surgery. I mean, you know, (laughs) painful. But why? So we can be strengthened and walk forward. If you're applying the word of God, there's going to be an edge to it. If you want something that doesn't have an edge to it, just go out and just live in lies and see how that goes. Where it's got a bit of half-truth and some things that make you feel better and, you know, feel like you're, you're walking along okay. But when we teach the Word of God, when we come together as a family, family talks about stuff. Because in all these things, we're being sharpened together, we're serving together, we're loving each other, we follow up on one another, we care for one another. If there's something going on, we're like... The Holy Spirit speaks to us, and I'll give a call and text, say, how you doing? Maybe we should get together for coffee, or if they're homebound, can we bring you something? Can we come in and check on how you're doing? It's what the body of Christ does. But there's this sharpening effect that is required for growth. My first basketball practice that I went to, I mean, I was laying on the floor, exhausted, tired, going, how, I want to be on the team so bad, but I'm tired. After my first semester of college, Same thing, different kind of fatigue. But what do we do? We stay in it, persevere. We're strengthened. We learn things. We connect with people. We connect with mentors, and they help us step by step as we stay in it. And one of the greatest things that as it relates to the sharpening that runs in line with this is the church is not only a champion for health and for education and for the family and for growth, But the church is a champion of forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
Where do you find champions of forgiveness today? It's not on social media. And it's not in a lot of places in this world. But as a church, we are called to champion this aspect of forgiveness because in the absence of forgiveness, you are left with hatred and revenge. See, the church was created through the loving act of forgiveness, which creates reconciliation. That means that as a Christ follower, if I've been hurt by somebody or I've hurt you, I am called to, as much as it depends on me, to walk in forgiveness and walk it out. We need to work it out. That's why Paul, Paul wrote these words to the church in Ephesus, but when you look at Paul, everywhere he went, he planted a church, and everywhere he went, he talked about forgiveness. I mean, who here has never needed to be forgiven or has never had somebody in their life that they've needed to forgive? This is an ongoing healthy cycle. That's why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He said, look, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. Hallelujah. And then to the church in Colossus, he said, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And I want you to notice how Paul in all of this, he connects forgiving others with the forgiveness we've received from God. Are you seeing all these aspects of the gospel in this? Loving God is equal with loving our neighbor because the love of God that we have for him, it's going to be passed out to those around us. Forgiveness, when we've received forgiveness from God and we recognize, I messed up, thank you, God, for saving me. Someone comes and asks for forgiveness, I'm like, oh, yeah, thank you. Uh, Yes, yes, I forgive you. Is it hard? Is it difficult? Yes. Is it complicated sometimes? Yes. I mean, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many, there, there are people that are easy to forgive, right? There's little, you know, they stole your cookie or whatever, right? But then there's this complicated stuff that you're like, I'm still working on it. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you're reconciled. Reconciliation takes two people. We know that, right? So I can forgive you, but not yet be reconciled. Because to be reconciled, it needs to be a two-way street. And that gets complicated. But guess what Jesus created to help you walk it out? The church. Where we can lovingly, we can seek the Lord, we can pray. We can walk this out. That's why confession is a regular practice of every Christ follower. James says this in so many other places. See, this is where our love for God and for each other is tested, is in conflict resolution. They'll often say that hard times don't so much reveal character, as, or hard time doesn't so much create it as it reveals what's going on. Because as you walk through it, it's an opportunity It's an opportunity to step up with the love of God. It's an opportunity to reach out to your neighbor. It's an opportunity to reach out to the church, reach out to a pastor, reach out to a group leader, reach out to a friend and say, look, I need you to pray for me. And all of this, again, it's incredibly unique. It teaches us and it shows us and it gives us the opportunity to express and to strengthen everything that Jesus said in the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength 
And the second is equal, love your neighbor. And the church equips us for this. Because here's the thing. If we can't do it here with people that are like nodding, I know you're all in church, you're like, Dwayne, you're telling me everything I know today. And I'm like, I want to encourage you in this. Because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says this. Let's read this together. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see. Don't you love the Bible doesn't like sugarcoat words? Right? You say you love God, but you hate a fellow believer? That's all of these people here. <laughs> right? If you're here today, there's some desire, some curiosity about God. It makes it very clear. If you can't love these people, but you say you love God, <laughs> you're lying, buddy. Because again, love is sacrificial. It's laying it down. It's walking through the hard parts. And this is incredibly unique today. But do you know how attractive it is? Do you know how attractive it is to the culture around us? That's why for all these reasons, I'm going to piggyback on what we shared last week, that the church, the body of Christ, is essential in sharing our faith. We need the body of Christ to share our faith. See, if I'm actively engaged with the body of Christ, faithfully gathering with all of you, which I do, my love for God and my love for my neighbor is going to be encouraged by all of you, it's going to be tested by all of you, and it's going to be strengthened by all of you and initiated so that I can engage with the great commission that Jesus set forth in Matthew 28. When this is our great commission, when he said, you know, go and make disciples of all nations. This is for all of you. He's looking at all of you and saying, I want you to go. I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded to you. See, discipleship is always connected to the church, the body of Christ. One body, but many parts. If my hand was to be tragically removed from my body today, is it going to survive? No. Some of you are going, well, surgery, and I know what you're saying. But if it stays separated, if my foot stays separated, you don't survive when you're separated from the body of Christ. All the great revivals in history were connected to the local church. When there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God, church is formed. When you look at the book of Acts, one of the great examples of what a church is, it says that they were in one accord, and how often did they meet? Daily. They met daily. They met every day. Now, I'm not announcing my new schedule for SCC, okay? But don't worry. <laughs> But they met daily. And then it goes on to say that the Lord added to their number every day those who were being saved. When we live like this, when we walk this out, it is attractive. Who wouldn't want to be a part of it? See, the Bible is clear that prioritizing the great commandment of loving God and love others, it means that I give it away in being connected to the body of Christ and the family, what all of you are doing here today. It is essential. 
Nothing else shapes us quite that way. But it's something that's going to take commitment because you're going to be tempted every day to stay away. Every Sunday morning, there's going to be a million reasons not to get up and be here. Every Sunday, lots of reasons, lots of excuses. And the enemy knows that when the body of Christ functions that way, that the gates of hell will not overcome it. See, fully devoted followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus living on mission, they get together. They want to get together. See, we need to recognize, and as the worship team comes this, this morning, we need to recognize, be reminded that what we do matters. What you prioritize, it grows. What you ignore or minimize, it dies. Whatever you prioritize, for here, this Sunday morning, you know, sending our kids, you know, to youth camp, to kids' ministry. Do your kids always want to go? No. All my kids complained. I complained. That's, you know, they complain about going to school every Monday morning. But I send them anyway. Now, as they got older, they want to go because they want to be with their friends. Because Why? They want to be connected. Getting involved in ministry. See, most of our time is spent with people that they don't have this focus. As I shared earlier, I mean, the, the, the decline that's happening around us, and in Seattle, we're in one of the least church areas. And when you connect it to that aspect that when we're separated from the church, the body of Christ, we fall away. The studies are clear. We become whatever we worship. We become whatever we prioritize. And my prayer in this is that we would no longer listen to the lies of the enemy. We would no longer be fooled. I'm not trying to build an organization here. Though we have organizational structures, because anytime you get a couple people together, you've got to have some organization, or it's just chaos and it's a mess. And then we're not, the, the body is organized. If it gets disorganized, you're going to fall on the floor. but I'm not just a part of it for that sake. I'm here for the love and the life of Jesus Christ that connects us, but it takes that level of commitment. It takes, God, I want to see you move. I want to see you move in my life, in my family. I want my kids to be rooted on the rock of Jesus Christ. I want them to know you. I want them to be connected with the body of Christ and do all that I can to encourage them. I want to live that life out. I want to be inviting my friends. I want to be engaging with that because we need each other. We need each other. I hope you're hearing me today. We need it. I need it. Don't let anything fool you or tell you otherwise. So Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray I've communicated your heart today. Jesus, you built the church, you lived, you died, and you rose again to build the church, the body of Christ. And even the word church sometimes is a dirty word. But it's the family. It's the body of God. We need each other. And Lord, I feel your spirit moving. I feel your spirit spurring us to be salt, to be light, to reach the world around us, to train, to equip one another, to, to that people would come in, they would recognize what it is. To, they see a, an imperfect group of people loving each other 
forgiving each other, making things right with God and walking in the power and the authority that comes from you. So Lord, rekindle in us the love for the body of Christ, the church, the family of God. Speak to us today, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. As, as the team leads us in, in a song, here's, we always give some prompts because faith without works is dead. We need to respond to the word in some way so it'll be uh, applied. And this is just, it's a great time to evaluate. I'm getting ready to go in to see my doctor. My doctor's been calling me. He's like, Dwayne, you got to come in for a physical. I'm like, oh, okay, Dr. G, I'll, I'll be in. This is part of that. Just actually, am I giving it away as it relates to the church, the body of Christ? It's also a good opportunity to address that second part where, you know, so many of the reasons why people step back and pull away is because a conflict happened and then stuff happened. Invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart and say, is there any conflict that needs to be resolved with someone here at SEC? I know there's conflicts out there, but is there anybody in the body of Christ you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta work this out. And invite the Holy Spirit to lead you and say, what steps do I need to take today in walking this out? And then something else as it relates to coming together, another way to respond. If you didn't get a chance to fill out one of those cards, there's cards over at the communion tables. Take one of those cards and say, Lord, who can I share my faith with? Receive communion today. Invite someone to say, would you go up and share communion with me today as we commit to what the Lord is doing in our midst? The Lord is moving. The Lord is working. But it's only as we commit together to walk forward. What an opportunity. Amen. Would you stand with me today? So now, Lord, we step out. We respond in faith to you. Teach us, Lord. Speak to us as we respond in Jesus' name. Let's respond to the word of the Lord today. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing. Lord, even as so many are praying, even now, I'm praying throughout this place today. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And Father, we thank you that you made it simple. You broke it down. As we our love for God is equal. It's reflected in our love for our neighbors. So, Lord, fill us with the love of God. Open our eyes to ways that we can love our neighbors around us. Speak, Lord, your servants. We're all listening today. And, Lord, give us that boldness that is filled with the grace and the love of God to share your light, your life, to live it out. And Lord, help us as a community, Lord, to live together as a family, committed to one another, loving one another, forgiving one another, and let that be a catalyst that builds us and equips us and enables us to take it to the streets and the highways and the byways and the office complexes, wherever we go. Do your work in us. And everyone said together, amen, amen, amen. I love you all so very much. I really do. It, I counted a... Just an incredible and awesome privilege to get to be your pastor and to be here. I love what God is doing. Let me encourage you. Don't miss it. Don't let your kids miss it. Dig deep and go in. Let me encourage you as a reminder, if you're interested in missions, we have several trips that we're rekindling. As I said earlier, we, uh, we've been doing some missions trips kind of here and there, and people have been leading them. But we're, we have several 
amazing missions trips coming up. Um, you will not want to miss. It's just it's a very short informational meeting. It's in the chapel. Uh, just join us there, and we would love to see you there. Give you some information. Talk to you about it. Don't miss that opportunity, and just take that and pray. The Lord is moving, the Lord is stirring, and you are his ambassadors. We are. Amen? Amen. So I hope to see you back there. Otherwise, let's say this. This is our benediction. Let's say this together. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go and live for Jesus. I love you all so very much. God bless you all.